The topic for this morning is the kindness of God. And our main text comes from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3 in particular. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this beautiful text before us this morning, and we ask that the Spirit of God will be pleased to illuminate our understanding of it so that we might be drawn closer to the one who gave himself for us and loved us unto the very end. In his name we ask it. The main theme for our message this morning is entitled, obviously, The Kindness of God. And I have selected as the central text to expound this theme, Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And so if you have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And we're going to read that one together. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shalt till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, 
he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. May God the Holy Spirit grant us the wisdom to understand the text before us. Notice, please, that there are three names mentioned in the first verse. These are very important names, names that are central to the understanding of the text before us. And so we come to the first point in our message this morning, which I've entitled, The People. And the first name we come to is David, which means the Beloved. This, of course, as we all know, is none other than the King of Israel. Now, David was the youngest son of the eight sons of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, the second and greatest of Israel's kings. David was a man after God's own heart, for it is for that reason why he became God's choice as king. David's introduction into scripture begins in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 to 14, when he is anointed as God's own choice for king. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. As we read in Scripture, we discover some very special qualities about this David. We see, first of all, his courage and bravery as displayed in his battle and victory over Goliath, the giant, in Second in 1 Samuel 17. His memorable rebuke of Goliath in verse 20, which he said, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That demonstrated his internal fortitude and faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This young shepherd boy, who knew only too well the dangers of his profession, also understood the provisions of the living God. And in that divine provision, he discovered a most marvelous aspect of God's care for him. He discovered God's all-sufficient grace, which he calls the kindness of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, we see in this verse a lovely picture of salvation by grace. It is kindness to a helpless one for another's sake. And David, who experienced firsthand God's continual kindness, though undeserving, nevertheless relied upon it consistently. And as a sinner, David violated God's divine law on more than one occasion, and as a result experienced the harsh, harsh consequences of those sins. But through them all, he sought God's forgiveness and grace in time of need. 
and enjoyed restoration of soul, enabling him to pen a multitude of wonderful psalms that to this day draw the wounded heart to God. Surely, wrote David in the last verse of his famous 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So much more could be said of this character who occupies a greater portion of scripture and history of Israel than any other except for the Lord Jesus himself. But for lack of time, we must move on to the other characters. The next name which we come to in our main passage is Saul. Now Saul, of course, was the very first king of Israel. He was, we are told in 1 Samuel 9:11, the son of Kish. The scriptures describe him as a man of great stature in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. When Israel clamored for a king, God gave them one. He gave them Saul. In First Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel anoints Saul as king. Then in verse 6 of chapter 11, we read that the Lord filled him with the Spirit of God. In his early years, Saul seemed humble and even practiced self-discipline, self-control, and mercy. But things soon turned poorly, and Saul began to deteriorate morally. He became disobedient and rebelled against the commandments of the Lord, though in his own mind it seemed to be adaptation rather than outright disobedience or rebellion. Nevertheless, servants are to obey the commandments of God as commanded, whether they be kings, priests, or prophets. The servant, though he or she may sometimes feel that revision is necessary to the commandments of the Lord because of certain circumstances, must nevertheless faithfully carry them out as originally given. God, who sees the end from the beginning, does not need advisory counsel from fallen man. And so Saul rebelled, and as it were, fell from his favored position. In 1 Samuel 15:23, we read, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the <coughs> word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. Not long afterwards, jealousy entered in and prompted Saul to hunt and to harm David. In 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 to 12, we read of Saul's awful fallen state. And Saul was very wroth, 
And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Yet through it all, David had respect towards Saul and undying loyalty to him, even as David fled for his life. But the die was cast, and soon Saul's reign was taken from him. Faced with a fierce enemy, the Philistines, Saul and his army are defeated. He and his three sons are all slain in battle. Jonathan, Abinadab and Melchishua, 1 Samuel 31. Saul's head is cut off, his armor is stripped, and his body is fastened to the wall of Bashan, a horrific picture of the atrocities of war. But we have still yet another name in our opening text of 2 Samuel 9.1, and that is Jonathan the eldest son of Saul. What a contrast between Saul and Jonathan, father and son, two complete opposites. The story of Jonathan is a remarkable story. Jonathan, though the oldest son of Saul, knew that he would never be king. He knew that David would be the (coughs) next king of Israel, and with true humility, vowed his loyalty and love to the future king of Israel and made a covenant with him in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 18. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a a wood. Verse 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Rarely do we ever find a life, a character as heroic as Jonathan, undaunted courage as demonstrated in battle, his self-sacrificing friendship as seen in his love covenant that he made with David in 1 Samuel 18:1-4. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would, not, uh, would let him go no more home to his father's house. 
Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved them as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. From that moment on, the two became inseparable as friends. Surely this is what the main thrust of the Lord's teaching in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine is. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then in John thirteen thirty-four to 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. But tragedy strikes sooner or later. We all suffer its cruel stroke. Wars have always been with us and will continue to plague us until the Prince of Peace returns to reign on this earth. And Israel, the chosen of God, experienced more than its share of suffering in war. And so when David received news of the death of Saul and Jonathan in Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, David mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. The loss of Jonathan and Saul's household was a devastating blow to David. Not only did he lose a close and loyal friend in Jonathan, but he also lost a brave and dependable comrade in arms who always sought David's best interest. And yet, even though Saul's immediate household had perished in battle, David had this longing in his soul to find a survivor so that he may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. It seems that there was this need on David's part to somehow repay Jonathan for his goodness to David, even though Jonathan was no longer alive. And David remembered the covenant that he made with Jonathan concerning this back in 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 to 17. And thou shalt not only while I yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved them, for he loved them as he loved his own soul. And so this now brings us to the second part of our message this morning, which I've entitled The Promise. David had made a promise to Jonathan that he would show to his seed the kindness of the Lord. For to promise and not to keep a promise is a great sin before God. Unfortunately, today, 
Many Christians have not grasped the importance and necessity of truth. Keeping one's word is the hallmark of the spirit-filled life. It is the outward evidence of the inward man and a reflection of moral fortitude and integrity. Not keeping one's oath or promise destroys one's character and reputation. Trust is lost and never recovered. Lives are ruined. Joy is lost and peace becomes an illusion. And how many marriages would have been saved had the vows been kept, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, for richer or for poor, until death do us part. And so David remembered his promise to Jonathan and calls to him Ziba, a servant of the house of Saul. And Ziba replies to David in 1 Samuel 9, verse 3, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Ziba goes on further to explain in the next verse that he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And oh, how David's heart was encouraged. Where is he? asked the king with excitement. And immediately the king sends for Jonathan's son, who was called Mephibosheth. Now, what do we know of this Mephibosheth, this only son of Jonathan? First, we are told that he was lame on his feet. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we are given the background to how he became lame. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. We also learn from verse 12 in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that a considerable period of time had passed between the time that Mephibosheth was five years old and the time that David brought him to Jerusalem. For we read, And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. Sometimes a great period of time must pass between the time a promise is made and the time the promise is fulfilled. And sometimes present circumstances make it difficult to fulfill one's promise. But sooner or later, it must be fulfilled. And so David, when he had conquered his enemies and had a measure of leisure and peace, he fulfilled his oath to Jonathan by showing the kindness of God unto his son, Mephibosheth. Now, before we go on with how David blessed Mephibosheth, I would like for us to take a moment and contemplate on how God has shown to each of us in our lives his kindness. And oh, how this should bless our hearts this morning 
when we think that the creator of all living things should so consider us that he blesses us each day with his kindness. Though we be beleaguered on all sides by violence and dangers and strife, yet through it all there shines the kindness of God. Look carefully each day for that silver lining as the expression goes. A kind word from a friend, a helping hand from a neighbor, an encouraging card from a fellow believer, a ray of sunlight on a cloudy day, a restful night's sleep after an exhausting day, the laughter of children and their voices, or a word of encouragement from our loved one. These are all reflections of God's kindnesses. But the most awesome expression of kindness to an undeserving sinner was the expression of his love for all mankind when he gave his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross, to pay by his own blood the penalty of all our sins. How marvelous is God's grace and kindness to those who deserve it least. It is these, it is there every day for us to experience and to bless him in return with our praises and thanksgiving. Now we come to our third and final point in the message entitled The Provision. King David remembered his promise and kept it. He called for Mephibosheth and made provision for him. Here is a wonderful picture of the sinner saved by grace and brought into the inheritance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we see Mephibosheth's wretched condition. He belonged to the royal line but fell and was ruined by his fall. His inheritance as a result was marred and lost. We too, because of sin, became ruined and lost, unable to change our wretched state by ourselves. Mephibosheth, because of his fall and ruin, lived in exile from the king, but was reconciled to the king and remembered because of a covenant that was made by someone else and was then brought into the presence of the king and exalted because of the merits of someone else. We too can identify with Mephibosheth in a similar fashion. Had it not been for the merits of Christ and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary and his new covenant, we would never have known the riches of his grace and the complete forgiveness of sins. But we read on and we see that Mephibosheth was also given a glorious heritage in 2 Samuel 9, verse 9. We too have been given a glorious inheritance in Christ because of the work on Calvary. We're told that in Ephesians 1, verse 11. We read in 2 Samuel 9, 7, And David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, 
and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And the second part of verse 11, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. What a marvelous example of God's kindness. A lost and ruined sinner, separated by a fall, restored by a covenant and the merits of another, given a place forever at the king's table to eat bread with the king and to be accepted into sonship, received as the king's very own son, and as a result, to enjoy an unperishable inheritance continually. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both feet. So as we come to the end of our message for this morning, before I step down, I must soon uh, ask uh, this question as always, you know the routine. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For the Bible clearly states in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Unfortunately, today the urgency of salvation has been lost. Far too many things that are important must be taken care of immediately. And as a result, no time is given to the reality of our destiny, eternal destiny. The most urgent matter of one's future is eternity. Again, the scriptures warn in Romans 3, verses 10 to 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And yet the kindness of God continues to be poured out upon a lost and dying world. His love is still seeking the sinner. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved is this call today. And that should be our beckoning call to all those whom we love and know are still lost. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this beautiful story of Mephibosheth, a young man ruined by his fall, separated from his king, but eventually found again and restored because of the kindness of the king and a covenant between someone else and based on someone else's merit. Lord, we're so thankful this morning that we are in Christ, not because of anything we have done, but all because of what he has done. He has paid it all. All to Jesus we owe.
Part us now, dear Lord, with thy blessings, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day to his table, for we do always ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.